Football on off the ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. You're welcome along. Football show. We have live football, obviously, as the evening progresses. Gav Cooney, the 42, in studio. Hello. How are you, Joe? You all right? Does anyone call you Gavlar? No. A la Gavin and Stacey. No, I mean, it, 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 it did happen for a while. And then seemingly, like, J- James Corden kind of fell out of... Uh, Fell out of what acceptable, so uh, I'll, I'll also distance myself from that. Uh, Fair enough. From that moniker. I wonder if Gavs all over Ireland have been called Gavlar on the back of that. It, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it did happen when we we're. I think that was kind of late secondary school for me. I think. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So uh, I'm sure. I'm sure the same fate has befallen us all. He's had a difficult week, James Corden. I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah. The apology for the behaviour in restaurants. So I just saw, yeah. I saw the uh, the statement, or the statement, the news story go around of his alleged behaviour at a restaurant and initially so, I initially thought I didn't believe it. I was just like, okay, that seems, you know, guy who's not that likeable seems to act in a way that you might imagine him uh, might act to the help at a restaurant. Uh, but seemingly, yeah, it has, uh, it is true. He phoned, well, he phoned up and apologised for it. So if it's not true, it was an <laughs> odd phone call to make on, on his behalf. Yeah, so uh, I would thought if you're that well known, mm. that famous in a restaurant. You can, you'd like be that, surprised you to get away with it, but maybe he feels uh, he can get away with it exactly because he's that uh, because he's that famous. He's done very well for the man from Gavin and Stacey, hasn't he? Unbelievably well. You know, I always thought that Rob Brydon was the main talent in that show. And obviously yeah, he's, had, he's had an amazing career. Mm-hmm. But I can't quite believe it, yeah. And... Wouldn't be a huge fan of James Corden. Wouldn't be a huge fan of uh, A League of Their Own when he was helmed it. Um, but at the same time, he did... I don't know, did you see the carpool karaoke he did with Paul McCartney? Yeah. When they went to all, a couple of old haunts in Liverpool. It was cool. It's absolute magic. Yeah, it was lovely. In fairness to James Corden. In fairness to James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the evening, as it looks at the moment, at Old Trafford, we are halftime. It's nil all between Manchester United and Spurs. That game's on TV. We've had nine in the first half. We'll come back to that in a moment. Darwin Nunes has scored for Liverpool. He may not see Mo Salah sprinting in 20 acres of space towards goal screaming, yeah. but he can head the ball into the net, that boy. I've uh, I figured out Darwin Nunes. Okay. Um, he's a legitimately world-class player on the admittedly big caveat that his first touch can always be a shot. It's as soon as he has to think beyond that, mm. have a second touch and consider his options, that's when he begins to struggle. Yeah. I saw the first half of that game before I walked in here. He was again the star of the show. Scored a great header, downward header. Yeah. Um, had a great shot, deflect off the post. Had another one of those kind of half volleys when the ball is dropping over his shoulder. He takes first time and it's just over the crossbar. And then there were other moments where, you know, his, his touch was his touch was heavy and he wasn't picking out passes. So yeah. uh, he's uh, he's been absolute box office so far this season, I have to say, Darwin Nunes. Players of that elk are always very interesting where they've lots of raw materials. And then the question is, well, can they be moulded? Mm. So you would say... Raheem Sterling was moulded pretty well yeah. under Pep. Now, there are still moments where the old Sterling, I think, but pops you, up and, and, yeah, and, and but even his strike of the ball under isn't Pep, great. it seems like a lot of the players didn't really want to be moulded. Yeah. Definitely Gabriel Jesus left for Arsenal and seemed and seems totally liberated. He does. To the point where he says, I'm a, you know, I'm a striker, I'm a proper number nine. This is how I want to play. Mm. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, we, uh, the extent to which they can get Nunes to sharpen that first touch and to see Salah 
Mm. I think the sharpening of the first touch may just happen in that he's, you know, they're operating at a, a more intense level than he's used to and it's it's higher speed and less space. So I think he might sharpen up in that regard. But is he going to see things? Yeah. Is always the trickier thing. I that, think, was, to, that was what Gary Neville said on commentary, wasn't it? That if he's, if he's seen Salah and he's decided not to pass to him there, that's bad. But if he hasn't seen him, that's worse. Okay. And he does seem to charge with his head down a little bit. Yeah. But uh, in fairness, he has now, he got substituted in that game in the second half and I did see a stat coming off that he has a goal or an assist every 96 minutes and that's more or less one a game so that's decent impact but Liverpool's problem is that to play him up front Salah has been relocated to wide on the right mm. he played through the centre against City he started wide on the right tonight and again wasn't really involved in the first half and I haven't seen the second half since I came in here but that's an issue like if they are going to give Darwin Nunez some time to find his feet which is probably right yes you know they, they, they're doing it doing it in a very fast moving environment in the sense that the teams are certainly the Arsenal and City are disappearing over the horizon and if they're going to have to relocate Salah and blunt him a little bit as well yes it's a, it's a pretty high price to pay for it yes almost anything at the expense of Salah just now doesn't feel like a great option yeah and it just goes to show that it is it, the, the big thing dictating his relatively poor form in front of goal this season was his position. Like he was, he was brilliant mm. at the weekend. Yeah, it was as good, and it was a real like. To now, I felt Liber- Salah has been so effective in a great system for Liverpool. Whereas that game really felt like him grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck in his just like you know this is Sadio's gone now. This is my team kind of kind of uh, kind of attitude. Yeah, we'll come back to the fallout from that game in just a moment. It's quite an extraordinary couple of days. Chelsea are nil all away to Brentford. Chelsea team changes a lot under Graham Potter. He's either a tinkerman reincarnated or he's experimenting wildly and trying everybody out in all sorts of ways. So the team this evening, if you're interested, Kepa and in goal after his incredible performance against Aston Villa. Back three, Azpilicueta, Chalaboa and Koulibaly and then Cucurella and Ruben Loftus-Cheek are the wing-backs. It's Jorginho and Conor Gallagher in midfield. Mason Mount, Kai Havertz behind Armando Broja. So that's Chelsea this evening. And news, of course, coming through in the last 24 hours or so. N'Golo Kante will miss the World Cup. Your heart breaks when you hear that. It's really cruel, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and we're getting to that period where, okay, that seems a relatively serious injury. Same with Rhys James, same with um, Diogo Jota. But we're going to get to a point where, in a couple of weeks, where players are forced to play loads of games to fill in the World Cup, mm. then pick up relatively run-of-the-mill muscle injuries that knock them out of the World Cup. And the reason they're out of the World Cup is because it was moved to the winter. It's, yeah. it's cruel. Crew. We were just talking about that last night in the news round and saying that now the three-week muscle strain the week before the World Cup is devastating. There's yeah. not even a, you know, Jason McAteer in 2 where yeah. he's got a couple of weeks to get back. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you've got to be ready to go. Like look, I mean, I say it's cruel. There's obviously degrees of cruelty and wrongness about this World it's, Cup. It's not but top 10 most cruel aspects. No, absolutely, but it's for still sure. completely wrong, you know, and I did watch... I watched PSG last Sunday and I was wondering, is Messi going to play here? Because he had a bit of a calf injury a couple of weeks earlier and you wonder at which point are these guys going to shut down, you know? Mm. (laughs) I mean, maybe they'll give it to the first or second week of November and then, well, second week of November, then they're almost almost there. But um, yeah, you do wonder how the club season will be affected. You won't blame players for not going full pelt now over the next no. over the next month. Wouldn't it be interesting to really watch the stats and even just with the trained eye watch the games the week before the World Cup? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, looking around, that's just my, my, calm it down my here. Ourselves. But like, yeah. you couldn't blame them. You no. really couldn't blame them, you know. And uh, the idea that such a routine little twang can take you out of a World Cup, potentially your only World Cup. Is no one the, wants a twang. Yeah. 
So uh, Spurs at Old Trafford, they have three in midfield. So Basuma is in midfield with Hoiberg and Bentecourt. That's been working quite well for them of late, even if it was injury enforced. Matt Doherty plays. Antonio Conte this week saying the player he knew last season is back. Ivan Perisic is the other wing back. Ben Davies, Eric Dyer, Romero, the back three. And so it's Son and Harry Kane leading the line. As for Manchester United, Dallow, Varane and Martinez and Luke Shaw. That seems to be very much the first choice back four for United now. Casemiro and Fred go again. Then it's Anthony one side, Jaden Sancho the other side of Bruno Fernandes. Marcus Rashford leads the line. So a reasonable first 45 minutes. Manchester United with more of the ball and I would say more territory, but... That Spurs counterpunch is lurking. Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw some of the first half just before I came into the studio. United, much the better team. You know, quite pretty exciting, like quite a loud Old Trafford responding pretty well to how they're Bit playing. Tempo to them. Yeah, but you know, you will notice who's not a playing a playing up front amid uh, amid the tempo. But maybe that's an unfair thing of me to say. But shaking uh, his head on the bench. <laughs> God, his performative upset is uh, kind of great after a while. Yeah. Um. But yeah. It's, but it's so hard to break down. Spurs have got a line of five um, across their penalty area. They've another three in front of that. It's just so hard to break them down. And mm. United have struggled to break down worse defenses that have sat low in recent weeks, like Ammonia Nicosia and uh, and Newcastle. So you know you wouldn't blame, you wouldn't heap too much scoring upon them if they can't break Spurs down. And no. Spurs did have a couple of decent counter-attacking opportunities. Kane with a shot from from a tight angle just before half time that was led by a thrusting. Matthew Doherty down the right wing so it's obviously good to see him back in the team mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's half time there Doherty did a one moment where Kane fantastic pass and Doherty cut inside and shot with the left foot just didn't get any curl on it but mm. it, was, uh, it was a good moment for him so it seems he's winning back Conte which is and you, yeah and we were wondering like what does Conte demand of his wing backs that's it I mm. mean it, it, you literally have to be able to run up and down the full length of the pitch for the whole of the game, you know, so maybe that was why maybe Doherty wasn't showing that last little spark, a last little push at training before that. We wondered whether it was a kind of a public trashing or a public provocation. Mm-hmm. Now, happily for Ireland and for Doherty, it's been a been a provocation and it's worked. It has been an amazing few days since that extraordinary game in Anfield. It was yeah. like what a thoroughly great game. Great game. I, the amount of rancor post mm. the Klopp Friday press conference and the game on Sunday is so striking so the latest I suppose there's two fronts uh, Klopp is waging war on uh, one is him and Pep there's a, maybe a cooling of relations based on what Klopp said about how there's no ceiling for three clubs in the world and they can spend what they want and I don't know if Eddie Howe's comments yesterday are connected to the fact that Klopp had a bit of a dig at Newcastle or whether he was just answering the question as he would have anyway but in effect Sky Sports News and the media were doing that thing where they go to all the press conferences ahead of these games, these midweek games, and they ask all the managers the same question and that way they get to compile a bit of a Vox Pop type thing. And so like some of the managers on, on Klopp's antics, I mean, no one said, oh no, there was no problem with it. But for instance, David Moyes said, ah look, we've all been there <laughs> and 99% of the time we're all really pretty good under the circumstances. So you know, come yeah. on. Whereas how went for the whole I think of the children routine. Yeah. Like he really... He jumped at that moral high ground uh, when it came to Klopp and, and whether that would have happened if Klopp hadn't said what he had said on Friday, I don't know. But it did seem a little bit of a, a response of sorts. Uh, so, Philippe O'Claire was on with us earlier on talking about the second coming of the European Super League and I, I we got the sense from talking to him beforehand that he wanted to discuss the Howe situation. So, we discussed the Howe situation. Uh, he took a dim view of Howe and uh, Pep. Have a listen. My opinion of them is very, very low. Mm. Eddie Howe, I think 
his utterances were totally unacceptable, demonstrably false. He also had the cheek to say that uh, Newcastle United's spending uh, over the last year was in sync with the rest of the Premier League when Newcastle United has spent £240 million net, net in a single calendar year, which is more than anybody else. And he has the cheek to say that. And then he is the servant of a dictatorship. Whether he likes it or not, whether he realizes it or not, he's a man who is put in front of the cameras and in front of a team and in a dressing room supporting a project which is driven by a dictatorship and a murderous dictatorship. And he's not responsible directly for the what the Saudi regime is doing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that at least show a little bit of, uh, I don't know, reserve. Um, it was quite. Don't, it, don't, was, it was. It was quite something. It's to, unbelievable. To, to, it's, to it's jump on the moral high ground. That, to jump on the moral high ground over something. I. I. I, so I have no words. I have no words for it. And I think almost every single football fan I've been talking about, talking to, and um, including some Newcastle United supporters, find it very difficult to to swallow that. I don't think it would be a problem if Eddie Howard came in front of the cameras and said, we've got loads of money, we're spending it as we see fit and we respect FFP. I would say, yes, fine. That's absolutely right. You've got, do what you want. You know, we can have our opinion. That's absolutely fair. Um, and don't start giving lessons of ethics to Jürgen Klopp about how to behave as a manager. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I I, I uh, to be honest, I, I I want to shut up here because I am so incensed by that, and I think many many people are incensed by that. At least have the decency to shut up at times. We know who pays your players. We know who pays your salary. We are fully aware of what kind of regime we're talking about. You are owned by a nation state. This is not the case for Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp went overboard did things that he shouldn't have done, will be punished, apologized, absolutely fine. Don't take the moral high ground. Philippe Auclair with us earlier on. No one does controlled fury quite like Philippe Auclair. Yeah. That, that's great. I mean, when I read those comments from how, well, first of all, he, he talks about, you know, we're, we're spending in a responsible way and what Philippe mentions there, um, which is factually wrong about the net spend, uh, in January I don't really understand when they reference financial fair play that's never been explained to me so maybe Newcastle can come out and explain that better um, but when he talks about um, so he was criticising Clapp for shouting at the linesman and said you know I'm, I'm conscious that I'm being watched by millions of people including the children to which point you're saying pass the sick bucket yeah like it's it's <laughs> when this era of the Premier League is studied for its moral equivocation uh, and it's kind of a la carte morals Eddie Howe is the archetype to uh, to look at in that respect, to study. He'll be held up as the example of it. Because he's been asked to press conferences countless times at this point to comment on Saudi Arabia's human rights record or whatever latest barbarity has been, has been carried out by his employers. And he's always said, I'm here to stick to the football. I don't want to get involved in that. And all of a sudden, he is an he's, he, uh, all of a sudden now he's clambered on the moral high ground and is aware of the example he has to set of the millions of people watching. I mean, the millions of people are watching him at Old, his team at Old Trafford literally decked out in Saudi Arabian colours. Mm. 
Like it's, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, and then he he carries on as this kind of holier than thou character. He's uh, the good chum, you know. We hear about it like the good chum principle of English politics that seemed to have set the entire political system ablaze over there. He's kind of carrying that as well, presumably because maybe he'll end up as England manager if he carries on like this. Oh, it's just yeah, because it's obviously grotesque. when he took the job, I think Manchester United have just scored here against Spurs. They have it's Fred. Fred with a finish, side-footed finish, outside the area, did it take a deflection, it took a massive deflection and nestled in the far corner, nothing Lloris could do. 1-0, Manchester United, 47 minutes on the clock. When Howe took the job, he had a tough welcome at the hands of the media and that continued for a couple of weeks and then it died down a touch and he just kicked a touch on everything and said nothing and kept his head down and focused on the football. And then um, the most recent time when it really blew up was back in March of this year when there were 81 executions over a single weekend in Saudi Arabia. Plus, I think the situation in Russia brought ownership again back under the spotlight. So again, he was asked questions. And in March, what he said was he was still reading up on the situation, having taken the job in November. And again, this was the kind of equivocation and kicking to touch. I mean, is he literate? Do we know? Is that he had literate? Well, he did in the same press conference weirdly talk about how just so you know the wrong impression I did when I was 1920 I would read the Times and get funny look f- from my teammates he said, I was okay. on the bus he said that I would get in the bus I'd read the Times I was very interested in world politics yeah. but as a manager I have far less time <sighs> so hence I haven't been able to read up this was his of, March of, 2022 of what effort. date did he cancel his subscription to the Times I don't know but he was reading it in 1920 and his teammates gave him funny looks he wanted everyone to know, yeah. you know? so I kind of thought well his policy is going to be say nothing about very little draw no attention to myself and certainly not claim the moral high ground on anything. I know. So it, it was a real departure and I don't know if he fully appreciated what he was saying. He must have though this he must week. Have. Like he must backfired I think. Ab- absolutely. Like I mean he, he could say he could say look I mean there's only 20 Premier League jobs around I've been out of work for a while I have to hold my nose here and take this job and I might be closer to the stench than the rest of you but all of the Premier League involves holding your nose to some extent. Mm. But like for, for for to pronounce, I've no issue in that. I'm just focusing on football, focusing on coaching and training the team and winning games for my football club. OK, that's I think that's a that's a bad line to take because you can't deny that reality forever. And mm. um, particularly given the regime for whom he's employed, by whom he's employed. But now, as you say, to suddenly become aware of the responsibilities he has as a football manager, it, it like it just reflects the weird, the real, really weird kind of a la carte morals of the Premier like Premier League you know we they insist on managers and players acting in a certain way mm. you know there's obsession about you know handshakes and these little kind of emblems of respect whereas you know and the thing that funds this and it's not just related to Newcastle it's related to most of the clubs no one really kind of pays attention to it or certainly it doesn't get the amount of attention than it than say a snubbed handshake would mm. on the touchline etc. As for Pep and Klopp it's been remarkable in many ways how good the relationship has been mm-hmm. I suppose under the circumstances over the last couple of years uh, some people think there was a cool, coolness in the handshakes on Sunday on the back of Klopp's press conference Friday and now Klopp is uh, and I think potentially considering legal action mm. at this accusation of xenophobia so I suspect there will be a cooling yeah. in that relationship yeah. now Guardiola didn't say that so I no. mean, but you can understand that there would be a cooling between the players and certainly the coaches. I'm amazed that there hasn't, that relations haven't frozen before now. Yeah. Like this relationship between the two clubs has been toxic for years. Toxic since the 
since some Liverpool fans smashed up the Man City bus on the way to that Champions League tie. Now, Klopp, in fairness to him, gave that a full-throated condemnation yeah. on TV before the game. But there's been issues, you know, goes back, wasn't there a story a few years ago that Liverpool had to settle a certain sum for using Man City scouting software, effectively kind of spying on them. So there's been issues with those clubs for for ages. And mm. I, fe- I felt the relationship between Klopp and Guardiola and the, the respective sets of players maintained because I felt like game recognised game mm. in a sense like these two clubs were up to the start of the season so much better than everyone else. They were operating at a level that I'd never seen in English football before and we've seen very rarely at European football. So I, I felt that there was a respect there. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, they, they don't, and it's a relatively small world if you're a multimillionaire living in the north of England. Like you'll mix in the same circles like Kevin De Bruyne and Virgil van Dijk's kids go to the same school, I think. you know, yes. So they see each other on the school run. So they naturally know each other pretty well. Um, but yeah, I, d- I have to say, I, did, I do agree. I thought that handshake was slightly cool before the game. But... Mm. Manchester City, like again, seem totally embarrassed by all this money that they spent. They know? did, yeah. Because people say, "Well, it's it's Klopp completely undermining the job Guardiola has done." To be fair, he did in the same yeah. Friday press conference say Pep Guardiola is the best manager in the world. Yeah. So uh, not not like he completely reigned all over the parade. Yeah, I thought that there were very measured comments. I thought there was a lot of disclaimers mm. for Klopp said his comments because he know like he he knows when a journalist asks a question. Generally, we ask it with our headline in mind. Yeah. So he was very, he was very careful to add his disclaimers and say, "Look, this, 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 and this." But it is also true to say yeah. there are three clubs in the world, and it's it's a fact, like you know. And look, there'll be clubs lower down the food chain. Look at Jurgen Klopp, a multi-millionaire employed by an American hedge fund, and say, "Well, look, I mean, the from poppers. where we're standing, yes. your resources look endless, you know." Mm. But at the same time, it was a fact. You know that. Uh, sorry, I sound like Rafa Benitez there. It was a fact what Jurgen Klopp said, and for a city to get so touchy about it baffled me. You mm. know, if, as I said, if they were so embarrassed by all this money that they've spent, they could just stop spending it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not to say that Guardiola's done a bad job. He's clearly been brilliant, and he's that's his perfect job. Because what does Guardiola do better than any manager before him? It's kind of stretching out diminishing returns. He just takes a team operating at an unbelievably high level. And manages to get more out of them mm. through his very precise style of play, but through through the players that he wants, etc. Um, and he's a genius at it. You know, yes. getting hundred points and like the mo- like the best team I've ever seen in English football. Um, but weird, like you know, they have faced this accusation for years that the money that you spend kind of undermines what you've done. Um, I don't think it undermines what they've done, but it's made possible what they've done. Mm. Seventy-two hours on, it's amazing how much controversy there still is about one of the more blatant shirt pulling fouls you'll ever see why I don't get this yeah. I, I get Pep's point there's a lack of consistency if you're not blowing for fouls throughout a game and then the one time it leads see, to a goal you blow it and I get that but increasingly I think well maybe we just have to accept that that's the way VAR is going to work and we still accommodate a more free flowing game yeah. and we just have to deal with that, but it, that it, it is, it is, there, is a, there is something off with the logic I appreciate but the problem there is not VAR the problem is how the, referee, the game was refereed Mm-hmm. like where Guardiola has a point and I have some sympathy for him is that the referee was letting those kind of fouls go all day Yeah. so in the context of how the game is refereed he has a right to feel a grief because he was letting so many of those go mm. and we saw the thing with Bernardo Silva and Salah that so incensed yeah. Klopp to chase the linesman but do you think it's an okay if again slightly weird and not the most logical policy to have one whereby <coughs> Those fouls are let go for the general good of the game and it was an amazing game at Anfield mm. in part because it flowed and we weren't stopped starting every few, every few seconds. But 
when there's been a goal, if VAR takes a look at something and sees a foul that would otherwise be let go in the general flow of things, we're going to punish that foul, then that's just the way it's going to be and we just have to accommodate those two but things. It's, but it's so... It's such a stupid way of doing <laughs> it because well, then well, it makes everything so artificial because you're letting this letting it flow and you're letting these files go yeah. but if it ends in a goal it'll get ruled out there is that and the whole point in watching a game is when like a team surge forward this might be a goal and then you see a foul and then they let it go mm-hmm. and you're like oh it might be a goal hang on no it won't be because they'll, they'll whistle it for this foul but then, so then is the only solution if, if, if you don't like what I've just sold you there and I understand why you mightn't is the only solution that we just have to get referees blown for more yeah, well, blow for obvious fouls. <laughs> I mean, say, I don't get the cheerleading from, I'll never understand because we've sat in this studio before and praised. Not in this studio. Oh, sorry. We're, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're on the move uh, yeah. tonight, listener. But we've sat in an adjacent studio and praised Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, rightly, I feel. But Sky are just cheerleading this. Oh, this let it flow refereeing is so much better. It's not. Is it not? I mean, I don't think so. Like, take it to its logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. They're cheerleading the fact that fouls are not being awarded. Some fouls. Is it more, to be fair to them, because I slightly agree with them, is it not, it's not that fouls aren't being awarded, it's more the 50-50 could be a foul, might not be a foul, they're being let go. But is, is a foul. Oh. Like, ah, the stuff that was being let go of the weekend, like Rodri came through, came through Salah's back, no foul. Mm. Brandra Silva pulled out Salah, no foul. There were other issues, I think there was a Rodri pullback, I'm sure there were some on the other side before Man City <laughs> listeners, fans started uh, texting in. The, the one on Salah, was, which led to Klopp losing his mind, was definitely just a mistake. Like, that was insane. But he was looking right at it. It you wasn't know, a mistake, like, you, you think the linesman... Let like, it flow, no, Joe. Let it flow. Let it flow. Yeah, well, that was, that was crazy. There has to be a line. I just think there's, there is a... I would rather that for those 50-50 challenges, which I think increasingly were being blown for all the time, I'm happier for them to be allowed slide a touch. But I, I didn't get the impression when this directive yeah. was launched by the Premier League, I wasn't screaming out for it. This game has been whistled too much. I, I, I have to say, I didn't find Did that. You know? well, do you know where... It, well, sorry, I wasn't screaming out for it either because I just thought, well, this is just the way modern football has gone. And then the Euros happened... Yeah, but and I thought, well, this uh, I recognise this game. These are fouls where I understand did what you a think foul so? is. Yeah, I, I thought but the Euros the really had a great balance. Sorry, I realise I'm talking about interruptions while interrupting you. I apologise, but <laughs> were the interruptions not the fact that they kind of used VAR a lot less? Like, is that not where the interruptions had been? No, I I felt that the Euros there was a the handbrake went down a touch. Yeah, there were certain tackles that had been blown for the previous five, six, seven years that were let go again, and there were. And there was that week, the first week of the Euros of players turning to the referee saying, what's going on? <laughs> but I, honestly, I think by week two, they had felt out the boundaries again. Maybe. Now, maybe on Sunday, to be fair, like the pull on Salah in particular, then that's the oh, handbrake down I, all the I, way. He, that, I thought the referee lost control of the game yeah, completely, I have yeah. to say. And Guardiola was joking that there was had been a meeting beforehand among... I, uh, took that, I took his, that literally. Yeah, it seemed like the referee went in to tell them, yeah. you know, which is, you know, it's going to be like rugby referees in the sense that they're, remember Declan Lynch used a great line on the show a while ago that they're treated almost like movie auteurs. Like, yeah. this is my game. This is the stamp on which I'll put it. Yeah. Um, but I, is it, are, are these directives been brought in to create a better game or has it been brought in to make the managers go mad? I mean... I wouldn't think it's been brought in to make the matches go. <laughs> Is that not, are the Premier League not thinking, well, that's a happy, perhaps intended consequence. This is content. Like uh, with the with the Tuchel Conte stuff, that was the other real example of, of letting it flow. I actually can't remember who the referee was mm. on that occasion either. I could never, who was the referee on Sunday? Uh, Anthony 
Taylor. Okay. Anthony Taylor. I never care. I never know who the referee is. Yeah. Because Neville made the point it takes a real confidence to ref the way he's refereed. As in... I, sa- I, you know, I find that so patronising. He's creating his own rules almost. I mean, that is so patronising. Like, I couldn't believe... And, like, he's refereeing how Neville wants it, which is not to not to give fouls. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I don't understand how refereeing is improved by the non-awarding of fouls. Because take that to its logical conclusion and the game could not be better uh, if you remove the referee entirely. Well, I know. I'm not saying fouls. 50-50s. The, yeah. the, 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 it's, a, it's a more loose interpretation. Yeah. I look, I mean... There were I, still frees given in this game. On, like on principle, on principle, I would think you're right. Mm. I would agree with that. Right. In practice, I've seen a lot of high-profile Premier League games, usually the ones that are in prime time on Sky, get that, get there and go straight away beyond the line. There are, whatever, 70, 30 fouls. Because yeah. they were like, ah, play on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe there is that. It turns out Anthony Taylor was the referee that day between two He was, contests. was he? Okay. They so sent him to drive <laughs> managers mad. <laughs> he's prime wind-up merchants. Yeah. But I do think there's a slight, you know, the Premier League's kind of like a TV show. And, you know, I enjoy it for those purposes. I'm not, I'm as implicated as anyone else. Yeah. I think there is a slight like, let's, you know, let's retest these guys. Make it like a Bush Tucker trial and see how they react. <laughs> Well, as a as a final thought as we head towards ads, I do concede where it, it falls down a touch for me is I like the idea of letting the game flow, but then that contradiction whereby when a goal happens and VAR intervenes, suddenly the rules are applied again. Yeah. I can see how Pep says, I don't mind what it is, but let me know which rules we're playing by. Yeah. Don't have like, it depends if there's a goal scored or not deciding these decisions. There is, so, there is something problematic there. Yeah. And I 100% agree with you. Okay. The, uh, good. That's, uh, that's how we like to run this show, Gav. Uh, the football show is brought to you by Sky. Watch Man United face Spurs tonight. It's live only on Premier Sports. We'll take a short break. We'll update you on everything going on across all the games in just a moment. Zebo going on his own. He gets the try. The Red 78. We're both monster people. Nobody knows monster rugby better. Carberry gets over the line. Try from Monster. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports You're very welcome back So the goings on this evening Southampton 1-0 winners Full time away to Bournemouth We have a full time result Brentford 0, Chelsea 0 Liverpool 1, West Ham 0 as a full time Darren Nunes with an excellent header we have a full time between Newcastle and Everton, 1 0 to Newcastle against Everton at home, Almiron with the goal, and 65 minutes on the clock, Manchester United 1, Spurs 0. We were just there, uh, Gav Cooney is with us at the 42, looking at the Amazon coverage pre match Brentford Chelsea. They managed somehow to get uh, both managers together as part of the mm. panel, and uh, they were having a chat, which is uh, amazing. Thomas Frank asking questions of uh, of Graham Potter. Yeah. Along the lines of, why do you keep changing the formation? formation? Which is great that A, managers are asking each other questions, but also B, that Thomas Frank manages to ask the question that most Chelsea fans have been asking. Wow. So yeah. good journalistic uh, um, instincts from Thomas Frank. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. I think that... Uh, Graham Potter's answer was kind of confusing. It was along the lines of formation isn't really our end goal or something. Yeah. <laughs> something quite corporate. But you know, it's what the players, how we want to play and then we need to look consistent. The answer wasn't great. No. Uh, and then unfortunately the, uh, the Amazon host interjected when Frank was going to follow up. But yes. I've been out of this conversation long <laughs> enough. Let me back in. You two Premier managers. These, these anchors couldn't possibly have ego though, could they? Apparently 
They do. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a thing. So, European Super League. We knew this day would come. Didn't quite know in what shape. Mm. The gist here is they have appointed a new CEO. His name is Bernd Reichart. He is a German media executive. He is the CEO. A22 Sports Management are the company representing what is in effect the European Super League, funded by three clubs at this stage, the uh, stubborn three, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus. And so Bernd has been speaking to the Financial Times today, amongst others, and he's saying 2024, that's when this thing is going to launch. He says the original idea, obviously, which infuriated everybody, was to have a closed shop. He's saying that won't be the case with this version. Uh, There'll be a, a blank slate. He said format will not be an obstacle. It'll be an open format. Permanent membership will be off the table. So, you know, there's some big concessions in comparison with the original idea back of in April of 2021. And where that goes, I don't know. The European Court of Justice currently set to rule on UEFA versus Real Madrid, Juventus, Barcelona in December. Full ruling to come spring 2023. I don't know what that's going to find or what that is going to mean necessarily. Philippe Claire was on earlier. He thinks UEFA and these European Super League guys will sit down and hash something out and there's just mm. a bit of leverage going on at the moment. The very interesting thing is that Martin Ziegler in the Times has looked at a dossier which is spreading amongst all the uh, clubs of continental Europe and I suppose the, the European Super League are saying come join us because England is ruining everything is, is about the gist. So England, the top flight is outgunning all continental leagues they say. The Champions League is, quote, increasingly dominated by English clubs who, quote, are backed by hedge funds, public investment funds, shakes and oligarchs, end quote. And they say it's no longer a truly open European tournament, increasingly (coughs) dominated by the English clubs. Few continental exceptions uh, are trying to keep up. So uh, the England versus continental European divide was not an aspect of April 2021, but it seems to be the way now. But it was baffling. It didn't really make a lot of sense that the English... Like none of the Super League um, in its format and how it was marketed made sense in 2021. But one of the least sensible aspects of it was that the English clubs wanted to be in at all. They were going to kill their own golden goose. You know, mm. they would, okay, they were going to continue competing in the Premier League, but its value would have diminished. You know, I mean, there wouldn't be a race for Champions League football, etc. Their priorities would not necessarily have been on the league. And they would have been, you know, what's the motivate? What's motivating Florentino Perez et al is the fact that all oh, these guys have the money. Yeah. We need some money. So they were going to, so Perez's plan was A, to get the English teams to kill their golden goose and then B, I'm going to get a, a share of the revenue of their new revenue. So it made no sense that they wanted to join it. Um, and I think that's a better PR push, shall we say, from the clubs in Europe. Like why, you know, why do we want in... Why do we want into this competition? Because the English, like the English Premier League is the Super League. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is, it like, it, even in its kind of literal terms, it's a breakaway league. You know, what the what the three clubs go into the European Court of Justice want is the ability to set up their own competition independent, not, not necessarily independent of UEFA, but commercially independent of UEFA. So they would set themselves up as the shareholders. They would say, we're taking the risk here. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there is no risk because yeah. it's a license to print money. Yeah. And then UEFA can get on with um, organising the referees and the rules, etc. That's the same structure as the FA has with the Premier League. You know, and the the Premier League um, then is more nimble, able to sell its rights and etc, etc. So that's effectively, you know, and is a breakaway league from the old football league. And the money is, the money is all in England, you know, and it's... You look at it in the Champions League group stages, like these these players, like Camara left Marseille to go to Aston Villa for now relegation battle. Diego Carlos left Sevilla in the group stages to go to Aston Villa in 
who are in a relegation va- battle. Matias Nunes left Sporting, who are in the Champions League, to go to Wolves, who are in a relegation battle. And the idea is, like, I mean, it's better to be in the Premier League than at the Champions League. And look, if I'm in the lower reaches of the Premier League, um, well, there's a better chance I'll get spotted by, by one of the top teams. So you can understand why these clubs in Europe have... Um, uh, want to want to catch up and want to breach that divide and that uh, the Super League by appealing to those clubs is certainly a more coherent and better PR strategy than the previous effort, which seemingly was Florentino Perez going on El Chiringuito at midnight <laughs> every night for a week <laughs> and explaining why, that football is sick. No one is watching this. And they had a logo. To be fair to them, <laughs> it was it. Oh my word! This logo. How do you think this all plays out? Who knows? But yeah. it's. There's just so much money in the game. It's yeah. so unequally divided and everyone is so greedy and self-interested. Yeah. It's impossible not to see some kind of massive rupture coming down the line. Um, now, maybe, I don't know, I think maybe oh, maybe the the scenario in which things change the least is that this European Court of Justice ruling comes out. Now, it might say UEFA have the right to continue organising football and then maybe it probably goes away. Like Then they have no legal basis um, to uh, to organise their own competitions independent of them I think what, what will ultimately happen is that there will be a league maybe it'll be a like a continental super league as opposed to the Premier League of a similar structure to the Premier League where you might have 20 clubs slash shareholders from around Europe pluck you know Real Madrid, Barcelona PSG, Bayern mm-hmm. Dortmund uh, Juventus Roma etc um, and maybe, th- maybe they come together to compete against the Premier League and then maybe UEFA survive then as the kind of the competition that the Champions League survives the competition that pits these two leagues against each other I don't know that's disastrous for their national leagues but I mean it's a league I'd be I would absolutely watch it absolutely because the money has destroyed so many of the of the of the national leagues, like well, all you know? of them, French destroyed, German destroyed. destroyed you know, but Bayern are going for what, a tenth title in the row. Yeah. Jurgen Klopp was the last non-Bayern manager to win in to win a league in Germany. Yeah. Like it's extraordinary. Um, now we thought the same. You know, people will say maybe it's a cyclical thing. We thought Juventus were going to dominate to this extent in Italy, and then they just kind of ran themselves into the ground. Um, but they didn't have the financial headroom to want to use a horrible phrase. Uh, to absorb their own mistakes whereas Bayern do in Germany PSG do in France mm. and the big two do in, uh, do in Spain Fred has scored for Manchester United they're 2-0 up 72 minutes on the clock now sorry Fred hasn't scored Fernandes Fred took a shot yeah see Fred was at the heart of all these goals <laughs> this evening Fred took a shot and it broke for uh, Fernandes and it was a really good finish he um, opened up his body side foot far corner really classy finish Fernandez and Fred scored the first if you're just tuning in so 2-0 at home to Spurs that's a really good result it's no bad thing you know because <coughs> excuse me uh, United strengths so far this season have been counter-attacking you know so yeah. you might argue well that was kind of going back to Solskjaer uh, but this is a game in which they haven't allowed they've been allowed to counter-attack because Spurs have said come on to us yes. which they have now the fir- I didn't see the second goal the first goal is the kind of goal that a low-lying defence is liable to concede in the sense there's a shot from the edge of the box and it deflects in off a defender well, in. This is very similar and it's a shot from the edge of the box which breaks to Fernandez and he pounces on it. So they weren't cutting them open yeah. on either occasion really. Yeah, but you you know, it's hard people to. will say it's it's lucky but look, you know, the, the bolder side should get reward of a fortune and I think that's happened. That's happened there. Yeah. We will take a very short break. The football show is brought to you by Sky. Manchester United Spurs tonight live only on Premier Sports. Back in one sec. Welcome back. Can we take a moment, please? Gavin Bazunu, clean sheet this evening. 
first one in the Premier League, I think. Yeah, one nil on Twitter. Um, not an easy, hasn't been that easy a start for him, but you know, a lot of mitigation down to the team he's in. Uh, but mm. was that one of the way to to Bournemouth? Is that Sagan? Uh, was it Bournemouth? Yes. So, yeah, excuse me. One nil away to Bournemouth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Uh, Adams Cheam scored on nine minutes, and then Bizunu. Well, I don't know if he made loads of saves. Let's just say it a storming game. A great game. Because look, it would be entirely possible for his confidence to be a touch shaky, having conceded yeah. all these goals. But yeah. he's done well in midst the picking the ball out of his net far too often. I think so. Yeah, he's not been he's not been amazing. He's not been. I remember seeing him against Serbia for Ireland, and that was oh my god, yeah. this guy's a genius. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't had that, but he's made some good saves. Obviously, he can't single handedly repel all of Southampton's opponents, given the capacious room they give uh, give opponents to run through on his goal mm. uh, and you know he, he was he didn't exactly have a great international break for Ireland there's that wait to the goals against Azerbaijan he, or against um, Armenia he should have saved yeah. um, but you know he's, he's still like he's still so young and uh, if he can adjust to the Premier League reasonably well and keep his confidence and keep his place uh, it's a great thing for Ireland Scott Hogan uh, scored the seeding 80 minute equaliser for Birmingham against uh, Burnley Will Keane scored for Wigan as well they uh, lost 4-1 at home to Middlesbrough Premier League continues tomorrow so it does look like Manchester United will see this out 2-0 up with 10 minutes to go tomorrow Fulham Aston Villa and Leicester Leeds in Aston Villa against Fulham and in Leicester against Leeds we have two managers under pressure Uh, a grim question would be which of the two departs First. Um, Mauricio Pochettino is lurking with intent yeah, uh, certainly in regards to Aston Villa that really um, follows to your World Super League point that Pochettino will take the Villa job because yeah. the money's so good and, and the players are you know, and there is an interesting piece in the Telegraph saying that you know why would he want Villa well he would have control you know yeah. which in, that he definitely didn't have at PSG and he didn't have to an extent at Tottenham because Daniel Levy so rarely opened his wallet when Pochettino was in charge. True. It's not a bad squad either. Watching them no. outplay Chelsea at times, you <coughs> I thought to yourself, there's a lot of good technicians here. They've got, I'm pretty sure this is accurate, they've got the second highest wage bill outside the top six. Oh. You know, and they've got some really quality players and that's not a good look for Steven Gerrard that they're just outside the relegation zone. And they kind of went under the radar a lot last year, I feel. They made a good start and then they're never really in relegation bother, but they were never going to progress to the top half and then he sees Gerrard say before the Chelsea game that Chelsea com- should be coming here and wiping the floor with Aston Villa that's a bit you know I know mm. Gerrard is among the most defeatist men in football history but that is a bit defeatist mm. I mean Chelsea are under a new manager they're better than you they should be winning but wipe the floor at home mm. come on man mm. <laughs> you'd be a bit more optimistic and than then that it's funny because we, we were chatting with Mick last night as a Villa supporter uh, Mick McCarthy, not just Mick off the streets, uh, Mick <laughs> Mick. And well, I was going to say, well, like, there's this problem in that anytime I've seen them, they've played quite well. So mm. a lot of us would have watched them play very well against Chelsea, lose as can happen against Chelsea. Draw two, against two Man City. Goals, draw against Man City. But like then get booed at Villa Park for <laughs> yeah. playing very well against Chelsea. And the general consensus amongst Villa fans, is it just hasn't been very good outside of those more high profile games. In particular, breaking down teams they should be breaking down is... Uh, appallingly bad and they look bereft of ideas so again that would fall at Stephen Gerrard's doorstep mm. but it's a big time for him I don't know where he would go oh this is the key season for him you know he'd, he'd, like, I thought winning the league at Rangers was a great achievement yeah. do it unbeaten break the Celtic 10 in a row but unfortunately in England you won't get a lot of credit for achieving something in Scotland whether that's fair or not I'm not sure but that's the reality so this was his first full season in the Premier League 
this was the, this is the defining one and unfortunately he's not really going well he's not helped by the fact that his old teammate Felipe Coutinho is out of form and mm. you know, Coutinho is a very strange player individually he's clearly got fantastic talent but generally teams usually click after he leaves the club <laughs> Hamid at Liverpool Hamid to an extent at Barcelona when they got him out of there mm. um, he's just such a strange player such a, such a difficult player to fit into any any system and he has to be playing so well individually to justify including him yes well they have Fulham tomorrow so that could be an interesting evening Gav Cooney of the 42 thank you very much thanks a million Joe. much appreciated football on off the ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports